Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. You know, a lot of people say disco music started in Philly, and I'm going to tell you why they say that, right? They say that because of the four on the floor bass drum Earl Young played on the song The Love I Lost by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, which was supposed to be a ballad at first. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Earl Young, who used to be the drummer for the Sounds of Philadelphia before joining the Tramps, he got a video explaining how he made the four on the floor drum bass popular because it's all in the disco music if you really listen. That's that, that boom, 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 boom. One, two, three, four. Boom, 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 boom. That disco beat. You know that disco sound. And, and Earl Young is credited for inventing the disco beat. But anyway, now, also, say what you want about Gamble and Huff, but if it wasn't for them, Philly soul music wouldn't exist. The same way Barry Gordy found talent in Detroit and made all of them stars, Gamble and Huff did the same thing in Philadelphia. I mean, they, they did a lot for Philly, man. And the things they had to face coming up, like racism, the mob, mafia, um, religion. Plus, they stood up for their people and was trying to take care of the community, showing us that black people can be successful. But as I was doing my research, I looked at a lot of Gamble and Huff interviews and they always mentioned the OJs, the intruders, Teddy P, Lou Rawls, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, the Jones Girls, the Three Degrees, MFSB, Phyllis Hyman, Patti LaBelle, all of them, right? But they never really mentioned these guys, McFadden and Whitehead. I mean, they mention them, but they don't mention them that much. And, and let me tell you, man, like I said before, my house was the party house, the family party house. When ain't no stopping us now, come on. The party just getting started. They frying fish, drink, they doing it all. Every race from white, black, Spanish, Asian, all dance to this song. Now, McFadden and Whitehead these guys were responsible for keeping the lights on at Philadelphia International Records. And don't get me wrong now, there were some other good songwriters there too, like Tom Bell, Bunny Sigler, uh, Dexter Winesell, and Linda Creed. Linda Creed was a phenomenal songwriter. I mean, she was a, she was a great songwriter. She wrote um, The Greatest Love of All that Whitney Houston did, but she really wrote it for George Benson. I'm going to get to her story too later on. But, um, and you can't forget Gamble and Huff's songwriting skills too, but McFadden and Whitehead are really underrated. And it just showed me that in life, you only have to be right one time for your life to change. 
one anthem song could change your life forever and have your legacy live on forever. Their songwriting and production earned them 22 gold records, two platinum albums, and two Grammy nominations. Now, when I started this story, it was really about John Whitehead because I really wanted to focus on his life and how it ended so tragically, but I can't tell the story without mentioning Gene McFadden. So let's get into the story now. John Whitehead was born June 10th, 1948 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now, growing up, his family gave him the nickname Toodles, or Two for short. And his mother said when he was a toddler, she would wake him up at night and just make him dance. Now, at a young age, John loved music and would imitate Elvis Presley and have kids all around him every time, every time he did music. Even the principal at the school told his family that John was a born leader. By high school, around the age of 15, him and Gene McFadden, who knew each other since they was three years old, they had formed a singing group called the Epsilons with uh, John's cousin, Ronald Lowry, who later became a member of Frankie Beverly's Maze, Alan Beatty, and Lloyd Parks. Now a group, they started singing all around locally and, and, and generated a buzz. But one day in 1966, they all went to a show where Otis Redding was performing and a guy named Georgie Woods introduced them to Otis Redding because see, Georgie Woods' wife named Gilda was their manager and she was the one who gave them the name the Epsilons. Now, after performing for Otis, he liked their sound, especially, uh, Gene McFadden because he sounded like a younger version of him and Otis signed them to Stax Records the same background for him. Now with Otis Redding, they started touring all over the world with him. The crazy part is that same year in 1966 while touring with Otis, they were supposed to do American Bandstand but found out they didn't have to perform so the group canceled their flight Next thing you know, that flight that they canceled, the plane ended up crashing, killing over 200 passengers. And then on December 10th, 1967, Otis Redding and his band members died in a plane crash right into Lake Monona in Madison, Wisconsin. And Barkay's member Ben Cawley was the only survivor. You know, Every time he tells that story too, man, he just cries, man. Every time Ben tells that story, he just cries. It's very sad, man. Every time I see it, man, it's sad. And what's crazy about that story is John Whitehead and the group, the Epsilons, were supposed to be on that plane with Otis, but they left California earlier that day for Christmas. Wow. And I'm going to get to that Otis Redding story too because they say James Brown sold him that plane months earlier and he warned him. To this day, they never found out what caused the crash. But here's another fact about the Epsilons and Otis Redding during that time, right? Now, Otis had a song he wanted them to sing called Sweet Soul Music, which ended up going to um, Arthur Conley and it became a worldwide hit. Go and listen to the song Sweet Soul Music by Arthur Conley on YouTube if you're not familiar with the song. But anyway, now, 
The only reason that Epsilons didn't record that song was because they were tired and exhausted from touring non-stop. That song probably would have changed their lives man, during that time. Now, after Otis died, the Epsilons did put out a single called The Echo on Stax Records, but it, it didn't really make any noise, so that's when they decided to go back home to Philly. Now I'm back home, the Epsilons broke up, replacing Alan Beatty and um, Ron O'Leary with James Sugarman Knight and Lloyd Parks, who later joined the group Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Now a new group, they changed their name from the Epsilons to the talk of the town, and they ended up getting a record deal with North Bay Records. And they did put out two singles, one called Little Bit of Your Lovin' and Don't Be So Mean, but it didn't sell. That's when they signed with Gamble and Huff, who thought it was pretty good. But then the group split up again, leaving McFadden and Whitehead to become a duo. But after that, John had to get a job, but John's job was a good job, though, which was working in the mailroom at Philadelphia International Records for Leon Huff and Kenny Gamble. Because during that time, Gamble and Huff had just got distribution for their label through Columbia Records, which was ran by Clive Davis. Clive Davis has been around a long time, man, doing this music business, man. Now a duo... McFadden and Whitehead decided to just focus on songwriting and production and they ended up writing their first song together called Backstabbers because at the time John said he was going through a couple of personal things with his family and outsiders and the words Backstabbers happened to come out. Now after writing Backstabbers they presented it to Gamble and Huff for their album but they felt it was a good song for their new group that they just signed called the OJs. The crazy part is Eddie Levert hated the song because he wanted to do more love ballads, but Gamble and Huff forced him to do it. But that song took the OJs to the next level. It hit number one on the Hot Soul singles chart and number three on the Billboard Hot 100 singles. Plus, it gave Philadelphia International Records their first gold plaque. After that, McFadden and Whitehead was hired as songwriters for Gamble and Huff. Now the go-to songwriters for the label, they started writing hits for everybody like I Always Love My Mama by The Intruders, Wake Up Everybody by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, which is one of my favorite songs. Side note, John said when he wrote that song, it was like God was telegraphing what he wanted him to say. It wasn't a dance tune. It was a tune that people had to listen to. And I love Wake Up Everybody, man. Now, other artists they wrote for were James Brown, The Jacksons, Gladys Knight and the Pips, um, People's Choice, Teddy P, Lou Raw, Stevie Wonder, and the list goes on. Overall, their songwriting and production gave the label 22 gold records and two platinum records. But see... Here's the thing, though. McFadden and Whitehead still wanted to sing, so they told Gamble and Huff let them put out a song, but they refused and told them to stick to songwriting, telling them they would have a longer career and make more money as songwriters. But it was more so Kenny Gamble who wanted them to keep songwriting because 
he handled all the business for the label. And around that time, Kenny, Kenny Gamma was dealing with a lot of problems, man. Like his marriage was falling apart with um, beautiful singer D.D. Sharp. I don't know if y'all remember D.D. Sharp. Um, a lot of artists was complaining about not being paid. And they had just got indicted for payola, giving money to program directors and DJs to play songs. But later on, those those payola charges were dropped. You know what? It's like it's like the government was trying to focus on black music during that time because they were successful. Like they was the only ones doing the payola thing. Man, that pay payola been going on since Leonard Chess, Morris Levy, and um, Bob King from Dell Five Record Days. It's a bunch of other ones too. Now it was all doing it. But anyway, all that stress, right? It led to Kenny Gamble having a nervous breakdown, which put a stop to everything from money to music and everything. And he had to recover for at least nine months. And a lot of people started leaving the label. Now, also around that time, McFadden and Whitehead started meeting other songwriters and musicians who was telling them how much money they were making from writing songs, which was a lot of money. That's when they realized that they weren't getting a fair share of the money from Gamble and Huff too, because no one told them about publishing. Publishing is the most important thing. I keep telling y'all, that's the real reason musicians started leaving the label, because they found out that Gamble and Huff was getting the songwriting credits, which is the publishing money, which is the most important. Now, once they found that out, they was angry about the money they was owed to them and they started lashing out at Gamble and Huff screaming and yelling and complaining around the building all day that's when Gamble and Huff told them they could finally release their own album just to try to shut them up now after getting the okay by Gamble and Huff to do a song that's when they went in the studio and did the song Ain't No Stopping Us Now in one take one take making the lyrics up as they go because the song really was personal towards Gamble and Huff because they was begging for so long to make their own album and song and feeling like a lot of things was keeping them down. Let me tell you something, man. John Whitehead's vocals on that song were unbelievable. Plus the female group, the Sweethearts, doing the background. Look, the crazy part is when they brought the song to Gamble and Huff, they thought they should give the song to the OJs. Wow. But in April 1979, they released the single, Ain't No Stopping Us Now. And that song took them to another level. It hit number one on the R&B singles chart, number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100, number five in the UK, and made it to number 10 on the disco charts pushing that song to double platinum, selling over 2 million copies. And, and the disco clubs couldn't get enough of it, man. I'm going to do the Studio 54 story too. That's coming soon too. I mean, look, that song set the world on fire. You throw that song on at a party, watch everybody go crazy, especially black people. People was calling that song the new black national anthem instead of the song um, Lift Every Voice and Sing made back in the 1900s. It became the theme song for the team's Philadelphia Phillies. 
the Philadelphia Eagles. Larry Holmes, the boxer, used to walk out to it. And, and, and people still playing it to this day. And, and the women was going crazy over Gene McFadden and John Whitehead during that time. Plus, Ain't No Stopping Us Now was nominated for a Grammy up against uh, Peaches and Herb, Reunited, Dionne Warwick's Deja Vu, We Are Family by Sister Sledge, and After the Love is Gone by Earth, Wind and Fire. And they ended up losing to Earth, Wind and Fire. But here's another crazy fact during that time. On May 25th, 1979, they was in Chicago doing some promotion and decided to do one more interview. One more interview and reschedule their flight to L.A. for the next day. Now, check this. The flight they were originally supposed to be on, American Airlines Flight 191, crashed just after takeoff, killing all 258 passengers and crew. Wow, man, they done been through some stuff, man. Now, with the success of Ain't No Stopping Us Now, they did release a few more singles like the songs I've Been Pushed Aside and I Heard It In A Love Song, but they didn't make any noise. In 1982, they left Philadelphia International Records and signed with Capitol Records. They also worked with Melba Moore, Gloria Gaynor, and Freddie Jackson. And they did put out an album titled... Um, Moving on, releasing the single title one more time, but it didn't make any noise on the charts. After that, they decided to take a little break, go to a little separate ways just to chill a little bit with the family. But that's when things started to go bad for John and he had to file bankruptcy. In 1984, he got hit with tax invasion by the IRS for not filing his taxes from 1975 to 1980 and had to do two years in prison. While in prison, his sons though, his sons, Kenny and Johnny Whitehead, ended up getting a deal through um, Philadelphia International Records. And they released the album titled Kenny and Johnny. Man, look, the Whitehead brothers, that was a good group too. They was good, man. Now, after his prison time, he converted to Islam and got focused. And around 1988, he released a solo album titled I Need Money Bad on Polygram Records. But you know, over the years, McFadden and Whitehead continued to perform live around the world on old school tours and for big events like basketball games, etc. Around July 2000, while on vacation at the time, some thieves broke into John's house and, and, and held his brother at gunpoint taking $60,000 in jewelry. It took his Rolex watch and his safe and all his suits. But in 2002, John faced more trouble from the IRS and they put a $5.4 million tax lien on him. They say $1 million in back taxes and the rest in interest and penalties from 1975 to 1980, 1984-1986-1987-1990. And they wanted to take his music royalties. But uh, John disputed a tax lien and a motion to reopen the case and claimed he never received a default notice and only owed $17,000. Now, after that, that's when John started focusing on writing a book about his life in which they was trying to make a movie about his career. 
But on May 11th, 2004, John Whitehead was murdered on the street outside of his Philadelphia home. Now, the story goes around 5 p.m., John and his friend, who was also a mechanic, a young man, I think John was trying to mentor. His name was Ahmed Johnson, was working on his SUV. Next thing you know, all of a sudden, shots rang out and John and Ahmed hit the ground. Now, John's wife, Eleanor, called the police and went to check on John. And that's when she found him on the ground with blood pouring from his neck with his eyes closed. Being a licensed nurse, she tried to help him and talk to him, but he never opened his eyes and he never had a pulse. He was pronounced dead on the scene from a gunshot wound to the neck. That's terrible, man. What a shame, man. Now, his friend, Ahmed Johnson, was shot twice in the butt and survived. And G. McFadden went to the scene and he was really shooken up, man. And they say he was trembling and everything, man. Police believe that John Whitehead wasn't the intended target. They think the shooters was trying to kill Ahmed Johnson from an argument that happened earlier because the shooters walked right up and started firing shots knowing he would be in that area. The crazy part is John Whitehead's murder is still unsolved to this day. Wow. And Gene McFadden took John's murder real hard. It really took a toll on him because look, he was already battling his health issues. But when John got killed, his health really got worse. And two years later, after John's death, Gene McFadden died from liver and lung cancer. So sad, man. Very sad, man. You know, today, Ain't No Stopping Us Now can still be heard playing at events with people dancing like crazy every time it come on. In 2017, they was inducted into the Philadelphia Music Walk of Fame with Sister Sledge, LaBelle... Um, veteran R&B group The Soul Survivors Jill Scott and many more and there's a book that breaks down the history of Philly Soul called A House on Fire The Rise and Fall of Philadelphia Soul by John A. Jackson which is a good book very good book it's expensive but it's a good book and I hope McFadden and Whitehead's families put that book out about their life or do that movie on them because they played a big part in Philly soul music. That way we can get the truth about how they really came up and, and what really happened, man. Because look, there's a lot of documentaries, movies, and books on Motown. You cannot forget about Philly soul. I would love to see a Philly soul movie. That'd be dope. Now, I also heard that Gambling Huff recording studio office in Philly where they had all their gold and platinum plaques was set on fire. They say that fire had damaged the gold and platinum records and the company's personal inventory of CDs by Michael Jackson and the Jacksons, Teddy Pendergrass, Lou Ross, and LaBelle. They say some white man named Christopher Semeni, I guess he was drunk at the time, kicked in the glass front door of the building and 
set the place on fire, destroying about 40% of the recording studio. I think he claimed he didn't know where he was at or he thought he was at home or some mess like that, but he later pled guilty to arson, causing a catastrophe, criminal trespass, criminal mischief, and failing to prevent a catastrophe and was sentenced to one and a half to 10 years in prison and ordered to pay um, $11,000 in restitution. Mm. So you know what happens after that. Gambling Hub sold the building. The new owners tore it down and supposedly made a hotel or something out of it. I swear, man. Black history always disappears. <laughs> I tell you, man. Man, that should have been a museum or something, man. So, y'all know. Hey, look, make sure y'all go and stream and download all of McFadden and Whitehead's music. Especially Ain't No Stopping Us Now. I think I probably, I probably listened to that song about 50 times during this documentary, man. Doing this story. And also, don't forget John Whitehead's sons, the Whitehead Brothers music, too. They were super talented. They was doing that early 90s R&B Man, that album they had called um, Serious. Make sure y'all go stream that. Check that album out. The White Hair Brothers. The album Serious. Also, um, support Gene McFadden Jr. That's his son. Uh, he's doing his music thing too. So make sure y'all support him too. John Whitehead was 55 years old. And Gene McFadden was 56 years old. R.I.P. to the legendary duo McFadden and Whitehead. <laughs>